Beth Walker is going to present this morning and share with you. Um, Beth has been a part of the family here at the St. John's campus forever, a long time. I don't know which one of those you would choose, um, but she is also a member of the Redeemer leadership team, and she also facilitates a Sunday morning adult class, volunteers her time in many different areas around the church and in the community as well. Um, and she's going to be bringing the message this morning, and so um, I'm very excited to hear what she has to say as she brings a message um, today called Soul Quenching. Good morning. Thank you, Fred, for that resounding good morning. This morning, uh, the message is based on Psalm 42 and John 4, 1 through 14. This meditative, prayerful psalm written by someone believed to be David, whose life was in a hot mess. He is depressed and longing for what used to be. His soul longs for God. He thirsts for God in the desert time of his life. He speaks honestly and frankly with God as he lays all his cards on the table. In the Gospel of John, a Samaritan woman will hear from Jesus about life-giving water that will quench her soul and never feel thirsty again. I believe that both accounts today will help us learn how to live honestly with God and receive soul-quenching, life-giving water every day of our lives. Oh, I'm done. No. <laughs> So I'm old school. I have hard copy because my tablet is too small and I always lose my place. So I thought I'd be really inventive and do little comments to jog my memory. Well, look how small it made it. So if I'm squinting a little, don't worry. We'll try to get through this. First of all, everyone is thirsty. Thirst. We hear about it all the time, right? We're thirsty. We work out. We need water. We need to drink. We need to live. The literal definition of thirst is one of the most powerful natural appetites, the craving for water or other drink. And the psalmist paints an image of thirst. We can't live without water. And we'll die quicker from the lack of water than any other thing than breath itself. You can live without food, right? But you really need water. You need to be quenched. The psalmist has a thirst a strong spiritual desire for God. This same longing can be seen in Psalm 63.1. Am I doing that? Is that better? I'll try not to bump it. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. We, too, thirst for something beyond ourselves, parched and weary from daily encounters with troubles and doubters. The psalmist feels separated from God and will not rest until he restores his relationship with God because he knew he was dependent on this soul-quenching relationship. He says, when can I go stand before him? Psalm 43, 4 says, There I will go to the altar of God, to God the source of all my joy. I will praise you with my heart, O God, my God. And Psalm 84, 2 says, I long, yes, faint with longing, to enter the courts of the Lord with my whole being, body and soul. I will shout joyfully to the living God. And just in case I didn't get enough, 
Psalm 143.6 says, I lift my hands to you in prayer. I thirst for you as a parched land thirsts for rain. And in Jeremiah 10.10, But the Lord is the only true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. The whole earth trembles at his anger. The nations cannot stand up to his wrath. There are times we too feel separated from God. Times we search for ways to stand before God and right our relationship with him. We pray for forgiveness and acknowledge the sovereignty of God. We worship. We sing. Shout our joys to the living God who alone can quench the thirst of our souls. In our times of self-imposed isolation from God because he never leaves us. We are parched and crave our relationship to be restored, knowing that our souls truly cannot survive without God. And in verse 3, the psalmist recounts, That day and night I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? In verse 10 again, the psalmist recounts the taunts of those who ask, Where is your God? Those who trust in God are having their faith called into question. Psalm 43, 1, by the ungodly people. And in times of disasters, death, crisis, we often hear people say, where is your God? And they can test our faith with these questions because in a state of loss or depression or anxiety or we're just separated from God ourselves, We don't feel him near us. We don't feel the presence. And it's hard. But it's okay to lament to God about how you feel. He's not going to strike you down because he hears what you have to say. And the next point is, my heart breaks for what was. In the psalm, the psalmist recalls how it used to be walking among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, and singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of great celebration. He was wishing for the things of the past while in the midst of depression and loneliness. I want to talk a little bit about, I know why Tim asked me to be here. Since we have kind of lived through what used to be, and how we long for what used to be. And I'm not going to say that I've never longed for what used to be. When I first found out that I wasn't going to lead music anymore, I was like, it's because I failed. Not true. And when I I looked at it, and it wasn't all about me. It was all about God and what we needed to do. And I needed a break because I was weary and walking in a dry, parched land in my soul was thirsting for more. And God knew that. And when we moved to a different way, it gave me time to reflect and to pray. But let's, let me talk a little bit about First United Methodist before we became Redeemer. And I hate to bring it all up, but we need to get it out in the open and let it go. And that's my goal today, is to let my heart go. I remember hearing stories when we first came about how the church was so full that they had to set up chairs in the aisle and in the narthex. 
and how we longed for those days. And we had children, and we had lots of choirs. We had multiple choirs, and we had bell choirs, and we had children's choir, and we had adult choir. And it was good. And when we came, there was a lot going on. And we came here for that very reason, because there were children here. Then worship wars kind of started. The pastor that had been here for many years was moved, and we had our first female pastor. I had already had a female pastor, so it wasn't a big leap for me, but for some people, just the fact that you're a female standing in the pulpit preaching has some issue, and you long for what you used to have. And we just wanted what we wanted all the time. Then some people left, and our size shrunk, and we kind of ebbed and flowed, and we kept going. Then we had a pastor who was here, and we were, um, seemed to be doing a lot better, and we started blending a little contemporary music in. And then she was moved to the same Lansing church that the first past, the, one of the pastors was moved to, and her husband, who played guitar, went with her, of course. So then we searched again. And we've tried a long time to blend the music, and we had people who loved the, the more contemporary and people who loved the traditional. And while it was never openly out there, you knew the rumblings. Because we long for what we long for, and sometimes we long for what was the best for us. We also had an issue with accessibility. There were times that people could never go to Niles Hall. We could never fellowship together in one big group. So then we had the elevator put in. But we lost something then, the chapel. And I know that that hurt a lot of people. But look at all the people that now can access all three, flight, all three floors and that we can actually get together and do things together in a big group again. But you know, People started dying. And there were no new members to take their place. We just saw the other night at the meeting the progression of attendance and, and how every time we lost a member, we never replaced it with anybody else, whether it was you know, someone who transferred or someone who professed their faith. faith. It didn't happen. So we were talking as leaders a long time ago about the condition of the church. What were we going to do? And we were trying really hard. And we focused on worship, and we tried to make it the best we could. And it seemed like the harder we focused on it, the less people came and the less we could seem to do right. So now I'm going to fast forward us to 2017 and 2018. And as leaders, we knew something had to change. It had to happen. Our pastor was retiring June of 2018, and we knew we couldn't continue as we'd been. So we had the adoption process before us, and we also had a couple of other options. And we voted to be adopted with only seven non-passing votes. But I think when we voted, we didn't realize what it really meant. How adoption, when you're adopted, things change. You become a new family. 
You may have been a foster child in someone's home, but when they adopt you, you become part of who they are. You don't stay somebody different and somebody pays your bills for you. And it's been hard because church is the place that has never changed in all the years that the world is changing around us. All the time, we could count on the church being the church and doing just what we'd always done. But yet our hearts, our souls, thirst for more. Now we have a new name. We have a new mission statement. We have a new family. And we can't just stay back in the past longing for what used to be. Because God is ready for us to do something. Something more than we've ever been able to do. And it's through God's power that we're going to accomplish it. Not through our own. We have to work together. And you know, people will say to you, where was your God in all of this? Why, why did your church die? Why didn't God keep you going? <laughs> because we were not listening to God. God's been here the whole time. God walks in the door with us. He walks out the door with us. We are always together with God. We separate ourselves from God. Just recently, my uncle passed away on the 8th of February. And it was like losing my dad all over again. Tim, I'm a crier too. Because when my dad died, I knew my uncle was there to support me. And so it brought up all those feelings of losing your, your parent. And... Um, a lot of people said, well, cancer is a horrible thing, and it is a horrible thing when my dad died of cancer. And my brothers were mad and angry, and they were in denial the entire time. But I knew God was there. And I knew God was what was holding me up, what he was holding my mom in his hands, and my whole family, whether my brothers wanted to recognize it or not. And I know my dad didn't die alone. He was at hospice in a wonderful, wonderful facility with loving, caring people, and God was there with him. And so as my uncle died, he was the kind of person you just thought was going to live all the time. He was always going to be alive. You could count on him to be there. He was out dropping off corn to people, giving you all kinds of produce, cheering you on, saying you could do it. And I really just long for those times when we used to all be together. But you know what it did? It brought my whole family back together as a big family again. And now we're trying really hard to make sure we keep that going because we need each other. As much as I need God and everybody else needs God, we still need each other. I want you to know how much I love God and how much he means in my life. And I'm so glad that he brought me here to this place all those years ago because I haven't been here forever. A long time, but not forever. Because I have grown and changed 
matured and my faith has grown. And he has set all of the people here, people who I've known for a long time and people who I'm just now meeting, in place to fill my soul. And I believe, and I'm going to put my trust in God. So we quench our thirst with God. The psalmist repeats his unfailing, God's unfailing love for him. And he declares that God is his rock. I, I have something I want to share with you. And we've sung this a long time ago, but I, I won't sing it. I just want to read some words to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, I will look to you alone. God, my rock. God, my rock. God, my rock. You will stand when others fall. You are faithful through it all. God, my rock. God, my rock. God, my rock. In the blessing, in the pain, through it all, you never failed me. You are the strength of my heart. I struggle to believe you have not let go of me. God, my rock. God, my rock. Carried through the darkest storms, you have held me in your arms. God, my rock. God, my rock. In the blessing, in the pain, through it all, you've never failed me. God will quench our thirst. He is our rock. God is also light in the psalm. He is always with, the psalmist says, you're always with me continually. And he gives him songs to sing in the night. Songs of comfort, strength, and support that God will be there in the darkest times. You know, it's easy to deal with things in the light of day. But when the darkness shadows us, it's harder. It's harder to to hold that faith. And, and God gives us those pieces, and he is the light for us in the darkness. The presence of God will calm the soul's thirst. Nothing in the world matters when God fills your soul with love, light, strength, peace, and comfort. The presence of God will fill the void of the absence of God. I know that sounds kind of funny, but when we feel like we're absent from God, his presence is filling that void all the time. Even in the depths of our despair, God will be our rock and hold us in love and support. Bless the Lord, O my soul, Worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O oh my soul, I worship your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass, whatever may lie before me, let me be singing when the evening ends. You're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. 
For all your goodness, I will keep on singing 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. Because God is quenching our thirst. We can praise him. We can tell him he is our rock. We can tell him that we're blessed by him, even in the midst of the darkness. And psalmist encounter is the answer to the challenge of faith posed earlier. Where is your God? Why isn't he here? What's going on with you? When asked where is our God, we are able to say that God is always present. God pours out God's unfailing love on us and protects us in our darkest hours. He is our light and strength. And going to God is never done on our own. God leads us on our pilgrimage to him. It's a journey, a never-ending journey. And we also, we trust and drink of Christ. The psalmist was grieving just like Jesus. Let me read for you. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you, even from the distant Mount Hermon and the source of the Jordan and from the land of Mount Miser. And what I was talking about was Jesus, and he knew of his impending death. And from John 12, 27. Just then his disciples came. Oh, that's the wrong one. Sorry. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray? Father, save me from this hour. But that is the very reason I came. Jesus knew. He knew why he was coming. And he was human, and he felt those feelings like we feel. Do we not all thirst? Thirst for something more? You know, we, we have lots of possessions, and we think if we get the next best tablet, the next best phone, you know, the iPhone, whatever, I don't even know what it is, because I have, a, I have a droid, so I don't do iPhone. But the next best everything. But yet, something is still missing. We need Jesus. He gives us that life-giving water. John, I'm bumping that. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. And I'm reading from the New Living Bible. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and make more, making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. 
Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But, sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It became a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Jesus wasn't talking about the well water. He was talking about the water that he gives, life-giving water, soul-quenching water. And what we need to do is to drink of this life-giving water, and our souls will be quenched, and we will thirst no more. So when someone says to you, where is your God? You can say, God is here. God is holding me. I believe that through the darkest storms and through the trials that we have, I don't believe that God puts us in those situations, but I believe he holds us securely in those situations and that he will provide what we need. And our souls will be quenched and we will pray and praise, and yes, we will lament, but it will be okay because he knows who we are and he loves each and every one of us. He can cure our thirst, heal our souls, and make us respond to that question. Let me read to you Psalm 42. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you, even from the distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Miser. I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. O oh God, my rock, I cry 
Why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones, they scoff. Where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my safe and my God.